Alex, do I have you? Hear me? What's going on, man? I just got off jury duty. I feel like a million bucks. How are you? <laughs> did you did you have to serve? No, they just didn't call my name. They found other people. I was one of the final 50, and I uh, I wasn't selected. You got to just play the reporter card there. You, you I did. I, I feel like it hurt me because she's like, when I first met with the judge, she's like, oh, like so you're used to being objective. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't mean I want to be here. But yes. Um, but no, they, they found their people uh, today, and, and it's over with. And as the judge said, see you guys in two, hopefully four plus years. Same to you, Your Honor. So we can move on. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for popping in here, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. For those who don't know, Alex Schiffer, the wonderful Nets beat writer for The Athletic, the outlet that reported yesterday that when meeting with Joe Sy in London over the weekends, Kevin Durant informed the Nets owner that his trade request remained and that it's either him or, or Sean Marks or Steve Nash. And, you know, I've been trying to learn specific reasons as to why Kevin Durant requested a trade to begin with. The only real tangible thing I, I had learned confirmed was his obvious desire to play in Phoenix and his want to team up with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and a perceived believed path on that getting done. We've now got another real reason, presumably. And I think also it's important to state from the jump that you know, I, I saw a lot of the reaction yesterday online to the news was that, oh, well, Kevin Durant, pick Steve Nash to be his head coach. Now, from my knowledge, Alex, I don't believe that to be the case. Obviously, Kevin Durant, pre this summer, everything that happened in Brooklyn, Durant stamped. But that doesn't mean that he was the driving factor behind everything. And I, I, I think that the public and others took – his close relationship with Nash from Golden State and just assumed that he, that that was the reason why Nash got hired. But uh, from, from my understanding, Sean Marks' connections with Nash from their playing days um, and Marks believing that Nash could be the type of Hall of Fame former player figure that could really be the, the leader to – keep this star-studded group together was the driving factor behind that hire, not Kevin Durant, more so that Kevin was on board with it. Um, does that all check out to you? Is there anything else that you've learned about why we are where we are right now? Yeah, I mean, going back to the Nash hire, you know, I, I definitely think, as you said, you know, Kevin kind of signs off on all the big decisions and that the, there was a Sean-Steve relationship before I have them having played together in Phoenix uh, that obviously came before Kevin Durant's relationship with Steve Nash. So yeah, I, I definitely think it was a, a Kevin Durant had a say in it, as you said, but also that Sean Marks, it's not like Sean Marks and Steve Nash had never crossed paths before. And I, I think, I think that gets overstated sometimes or, or overlooked sometimes I should say, but, um, but yeah, it's not like, it's not like Sean Marks, had never dealt with Steve Nash before anything. They kept in touch after they both retired. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with that for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to be clear, like to me, this is not a case of Kevin Durant telling Brooklyn hire this guy as head coach. And then a couple years later and one year after signing a four year massive extension saying, no way, actually fire that guy. That, that is not, I want, I want to kind of get, the record straight there, at least from, from my understanding that that's, I, I don't believe that to be the case. I, I do not think this is Kevin Rant doing a 180. Sure. Like he did stamp Nash, but he, that was not the guy that KD pounded on the table and said, need to bring this guy in. No, I, I think the bigger KD Steve Nash 180 is just that they get knocked out by Boston, swept by Boston and Kevin's backing Steve and it backed him 
a few weeks earlier about the crazy season they had and him still being the guy. Steve Nash hasn't coached the game since those comments and hasn't done anything really but go on vacation, go to summer league, do his usual stuff, and uh, and go from there. So, yeah, I – the the one eighty to me that's the bigger deal with the with the KD Nash stuff is just that literally nothing has happened with Steve Nash as a coach outside of changing his staff since Kevin's comments after the Boston series and he could have said something then and didn't that would have been either you know now's not the time to talk about that or you know um, I don't know but instead he 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 did, gave the fist pound endorsement as recently as April after Steve's had two years as a head coach. And now we're seeing that, that one eighty. So yeah, to me, to me, the bigger Nash KD thing is just that literally nothing's happened since Kevin last endorsed him. And now he's reversed course on that. And, and that message he gave after the game four against Boston was something that I had heard from several people top to bottom of the organization of Steve never really got a fair shake. He, you know, had to deal with all those injuries in the playoffs before, and then you know Joe Harris gets hurt. The James Harden Ben Simmons you know, situation. Um, Kyrie is still uh, only eligible to play in, in certain games for for you know a large portion of that season, even after he came back. So people were, were clearly at least talking themselves into the idea of a full year, a full roster under his belt. A full a full off season. I've said this countless times on this show, but everyone around the NBA when they got knocked out of the playoffs or when their season ended before the playoffs was talking about how much they were valuing this full off season for the first time since COVID struck as a way to regroup, revitalize, kind of you know move forward into next season more refreshed and and, and better served than the past two, um, and. I mean, that there were certainly rumors and rumblings about national security at that time. But as I wrote at the time, as it's been, you know, as it's been the case throughout this summer, like there was never any real talk internally about Nash's job being on the line for, for my knowledge. And he has had the full support of management. And then Josiah comes out and tweets the same thing. So Alex, from from your perspective, honestly, aside from a couple of reactions, do you think what happened in London really has any tangible impact on on where things were, um, you know, seventy two hours before that? No, you know, um, you know, it's funny with I haven't covered Steve every day for the past two years. You know, I get asked all the time and have been, you know, the last twenty four hours with all the radio hits and whatnot. Like, what do you think of him as a coach? And I feel like a, a sellout when I give this answer, but literally my answer is usually like, I don't know, because as you said, he's he comes in at the 2020-21 season with a deep team of Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, KD, Kyrie, Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, I think it was game three, Spencer Dinwiddie tears his ACL in, in Charlotte, beginning a roller coaster of attrition and drama and all this stuff. Then the Harden trade. And so like, we've never really gotten to see him uh, as you said, like with a roster of continuity with the same core of guys to build around and without juggling some other kind of injury to a star or the, the vaccine mandate. And so to me, it's been really hard to evaluate him and give him a fair shake because it's like he's been dealt a set of cards that really no other young first time head coach has been dealt with before. And, you know, I, I think that there has been some times where I've been able to observe, you know, when they had that COVID outbreak in December, 2021, you know, for a few games, their offensive focal points were Patty Mills and Blake Griffin. This isn't the Blake Griffin fresh out of Oklahoma. And, you know, a lot of those guys on the roster, Shaq Harrison, James Ennis were guys that Steve Nash had met that morning. And yet he was scheming ways for them to get shots, play to their strengths. You know, he did, it's not like he was in the league when they were coming in either. So he had something to go off of a plane against them. And uh, I really thought that was when he was most impressive as a coach was just like working with guys that he literally knew nothing about, you know, the day before getting them to play hard, buy in and um, and get something out of them. Granted, that's not how any any coaches, you know, that's not really a big part of the evaluation in the grand scheme of things is whether you win or not. But uh, but, you know, Joe Sy has invested with Steve Nash in a professional lacrosse team in Las Vegas, the Desert Dogs. Get your gear now. 
And um, Sean Marks, which you would know better than me, he's listed as an alternate governor for Cy. If Cy's not in a meeting or whatever, there's very few GMs that have that other title to them of that alternate governor in the NBA. I I had the number at one point. I want to say it's like less than five. So in short, like these are Joe Cy's guys. Like it's not like just that they all go to work together. Like there is extensive relationships that go beyond just working well together. So no, I, I agree with, with Steve and I never really thought that he would get pushed out or anything. You know, he's halfway through his four year deal. The thing I've always wondered about is do they just get to the end of this four year deal? And Steve Nash kind of goes back into the sunset. He had such a good gig in retirement between the soccer commentary. He was living in Manhattan beach. His kids are young. Um, I've always just kind of wondered if it's like, all right, I tried this not for me go back to doing, go back to my family life or whatever, when this contract's over. And again, Sean, Josiah said to me personally, like, I think we have the best GM in the NBA. So I never, I never thought going in after hearing last week that some stuff was coming. I never thought that Josiah was just going to reverse course on those guys, given, given the loyalty that's gone both ways. I would agree with that. I remember very early in the saga getting a question um, on this app from from a, a listener asking, you know, would Sean Marks' job be in jeopardy? And my response was that I wouldn't be surprised if five, ten years from now, Sean Marks is one of the longest tenured GMs in the league. Um, yes. just based just based off of the trust that it seems, and like you just said, that I mean, we're only really uh, privy to what we've been told. We're not in these closed room meetings, but it, it definitely seems like he's got uh, unfettered support from Cy, um, and people there have communicated that pretty clearly to me. Like no one there, I think, has really been fearing for their job security more so than just kind of exasperated by the situation at large. Um, to Nash's coaching prowess, let's say, I will say like criticisms. It's not just KD. I mean, oh yeah, hard. Harden definitely wasn't thrilled with just the, the conflicting and changing styles that um, were going on there. And I, I wrote about that at the time. Um, I mean, Boston didn't necessarily find it very difficult to scheme against Boston or Brooklyn's offense in the playoffs. Yeah, there um, was definitely a lack of adjustments in that series this past year, without question. But – all that being said, like we said at the top or earlier, that there really has not been anything that suggested that Nash is in, in trouble or, or, I mean, let alone Sean Marks. But the one thing I feel has tangibly shifted now, or at least from early conversations I had yesterday, I mean, for a while the word was that Brooklyn was hoping that Kevin Durant changes his mind this is a guy that's changed his mind a lot right and you know we hope that we can trade for Royce O'Neal we can bring back Patty Meal a sweet week we can bring in Nick Claxton Seth Curry will be healthy Ben Simmons will be healthy Joe Harris will be healthy and Kevin will come back and look around and be like you know what Brooklyn is where I I I can be and win a title and everything will be fine Right now, after this, I mean, the, the the stakes haven't changed in the fact that the Nets still need a team, whether it's Miami, Boston, Toronto, or anybody else, to meet their asking price, which is going to be – I mean, they need, the, they need the richest ask – they need the richest return for a player in NBA history. That's what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and – that that still is the case, and Kevin Durant will not be traded until that happens. However, the second that that gets done, from 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 my vantage point, from everything I've heard, I think Brooklyn would do it pretty quickly. At at this stage, I I think that that holding out hope for things to change and him to come back and wrap his arms around the situation. That seems to either be dwindling or, or go, I mean, I'm not talking to everybody there, but um, that does seem to be the case. And now it's still just a matter of who's going to be willing to do that. How do we get there? I mean, clearly Boston's overtures with Jalen Brown have been the most um, 
enticing, I guess, that have actually been been brought up and brought to the table, but that they still haven't come close to meeting Brooklyn's price. So it's it's still going to be a war of attrition of which team is going to try to smoke this out and ultimately try to bring Brooklyn's asking price down. But that's that's not going to be the case. The Nets are holding out for you know every everything that a team can potentially offer. So all all this ramble is to say we're still in a spot where that is the case, but I do think now that the Nets are, are more eager for that deal to be brought to them than they were previously. Yeah, you know, um, lot to unpack there. I agree, and I, I think there was definitely a time during free agency, and I, I think something that has fallen under the radar a little bit, but um, as training camp approaches, at me as a guy on the ground day-to-day can't help but notice is, you know, the Nets only have 12 players right now under contract. And, you know, depending upon how they're going to have this go into the year, and again, as you said, you know, this could change very quickly, but it also could drag out a while. Um, you know, what are the, you know, there's not much left on the market right now, if anything. So what is it going to look like in terms of, are they trying to get a deal done and, and kind of fill, you know, use the return to fill some of those spots or what? But, you know, there was a time in July definitely where, you know, you talk to people and they'd say, like, look at what, what we would look like 10 deep, right? Like Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, Kyrie, Kevin, Nick Claxton, Patty Mills, Seth Curry, a ton of shooting. Um, TJ Warren, if he could show what he did in the bubble, et cetera. You know, you look at their 10 deep if there's a change of direction on Kevin's part and you're like, damn, you know, they, they could probably be the best offense in the league if everybody stays healthy and everything. And as you said, you know, I, I definitely think that ship has sailed. Um, and now as, as terms of, of the return, I, I, everything you've, we've discussed before, as you said, I've been in agreement with on, I don't see there's a hot seat or anything like that for anybody involved, but I do think that after, uh, Saturday's meeting that like the return for Kevin has now become more paramount than ever, if it wasn't already before. And just that, like, they can't get this wrong given, you know, the, the biggest thing in my mentions yesterday, probably outside of just like people choosing Katie or Steve and Sean was just like, they're raising ticket prices on us and look at all they've put us through. I, I definitely think that there's some fans and, and you don't base every decision on, on them, but they're, they're obviously a factor of just like, you know, what's the next thing they're going to put us through and what's the next thing coming. So I, I agree that I don't know what the return is going to be because this has been such a, uh, a wild ride, but, and, and the Rudy Gobert trade, and you look at what the ask has been for Donovan Mitchell, just like, um, and Kevin's, you know, repeated change of mind, I think has scared some teams too, of like, are we going to give up the farm and be in this next year? But, uh, but I, I definitely think that the return now has never been more important for them to try to get this right because of what comes afterwards. And it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the Denver Nuggets with Melo because he played through it, but the, the Nuggets were not, Talking to some people that were involved in that back in the day, they knew that they couldn't contend for championships losing Melo, but they were still trying to stay in the playoff race. And that's essentially what they were able to do with that return of Gallinari, Wilson Channel, and all that. Kevin, uh, Kenneth Fareed joining them. Like, they weren't a title contender in, in the following years, but they were a playoff regular. And I think that's all the Nets are trying to get out of this. The Nets definitely want to compete. And I've said this before, like, the, the word has been that they want to be the warriors of the East. They want to, they're not afraid to pay the luxury tax. They want to be competing for championships perennially. And they, they, that's why they've been asking for one, if not more all-stars back plus rotation players plus picks so that they can keep this title window open, even if Kevin Durant. And then, you know, likely whether it's before the trade deadline or when he becomes a free agent next year without Kyrie too. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's still going to be a staring contest. There are, I mean, like I've been saying, and I, I don't think anything really has changed. The only two events that are going to lead to an actual Kevin Durant trade are one of these teams upping their offer and meeting the Nets asking price or Kevin Durant potentially holding out and making it a, a bigger, you know, Ben Simmons type deal. But even then, even that second point, I mean, 
people around the league laughed at the Sixers and laughed at Daryl Morey all last season and saying Ben Simmons is, is a distraction. This is tearing apart a season, wasting an MVP caliber year for Joel Embiid. Just take the deal. Just take a CJ McCollum, Robert Covington trade. Just take an offer from Toronto or Indiana or whatever. Just take a deal. And the Sixers, they held firm. They said, no, we are holding out until we get a Damian Lillard, a Bradley Beal, a James Harden. And they did. So even if Kevin Durant decides that he's not going to play in training camp or he's going to even hold out through the season, what have you, which – Again, I don't think that's in his makeup from everything I've been told over the years. And like I said on a show a couple weeks ago, like Golden State people told me that during the playoffs when he was injured, he wasn't even sitting on the bench because it was driving him so nuts he couldn't play. Having his feet on the wood and not being able to play was something that was apparently eating at Kevin Durant, this this uber competitor, this guy who – was super frustrated when Harden came back before last season out of shape and then was holding himself out um, with hamstring injuries and was frustrated by Ben Simmons not playing in the playoffs. It would be a total 180 of character for him to do that. But then even if he were to do it, still not so certain that would force the Nets to drop their asking price. Like – the like Boston and Toronto and Miami are, are are hoping for, and everyone else is who's called, which is you know most teams are hoping for. So, I mean, it really just seems like it's going to be a staring contest until one team. Like this is not this is not Kawhi Leonard. A lot of teams are acting like this is the same exact situation San Antonio was in with Kawhi back before the eighteen nineteen season. But Kevin Durant is under contract for four more years. Kawhi was only under contract for one, and the entire league knew he had his heart set on L.A., and that's what he did. So I just don't think you're going to be getting Kevin Durant for DeMar DeRozan, Yaka Pirtle in a first-round pick, or Jalen Brown, Derek White in a first-round pick. I just – to me, it's it's the Nets have made it very clear that they want your whole house and your farm and your cattle and the key to the city – in order to actually get a deal done. So I, I don't really know what's going to change that. I agree. And it's it's funny, you know, um, to me, Sean Marks is one of the most least attention headline grabbing executives, maybe in sports, you know, the Spurs way, you don't really see them do that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, when I was doing a radio interview last year and people were talking about Daryl Moore getting on Philadelphia radio and saying, you know, it's going to be three more years of the Sixers fans, that, you know, buckle up with the Ben Simmons stuff. And I, I just could never imagine Sean doing that. But now, as you said, he kind of finds himself in a similar position. And the the other thing is that with all this, as you said, is just like, is there, a, is there a trade that can make Kevin Durant happy and go to the team he wants to while keeping them relevant, given that the Nets want to take everything um, they can in a possible trade? So, and, and the other thing that, I, you know, I don't, I, I'll be interested to see how it gets handled and, you know, there was a report out there today, but to me, it's just kind of too early to really see um, what happens, as you said, with, with Kevin Durant not playing. If you're the Nets and you want the return you're asking for, do you play him given the way the last two seasons have gone for him, given these injuries? You know, I look at last season, the, the hamstring strain his first year back was was pretty bad, but the the knee injury he had this past season to me was kind of a fluke thing with Bruce Brown bumping into him. I think it's a very underrated what if. Bruce Brown never bumps into Kevin Durant and he doesn't go away for this time where James Harden checks out and gets traded and Kyrie comes back and all that. Um, do they still wind up in the play in? Does Kevin still get hurt later on? You know, Kevin himself has said that injury was the changing point in the season. So I look at last year's injury a little differently given how fluke it was, but I would be afraid to play him a fire than that's just because you want this return back. He's gotten hurt the past two years. And I think it's a very, big catch 22 of sorts i lost the word in my head for a minute just because kevin durant puts people in the seats this has kind of become a reality show at this point i mean do you kind of play into that and throw him out there and see what happens and if if he becomes a, a cancer to the team you send him home or do you have him play through it and and maybe is that the only path left to potentially have a change of heart is if they start winning and 
things change. Again, I say that extremely pessimistically given the light of recent events and, and what I've been hearing. And again, you've kind of reiterated some of that already, but um, I think it's a very, very polarizing conversation in terms of what do you do with, he still wants to play going into training camp or, uh, or he has a change of heart. You send him home and, and he still wants to play despite being unhappy because I don't know. I don't think there's a right answer for say again, that the ticket office has a different answer than the front office. And I think both have compelling arguments. So I, uh, as you said, just how this all gets handled in the coming weeks is going to assume, assuming there's no trade is going to be very fascinating. And look, th- there, there hasn't been, from my understanding, there hasn't been much tangible development in any of these trade conversations. Yes. So still dry. We're what? It's August 9th. So we're what? Seven weeks away. Roughly from yes. media day on the twenty sixth, that's that's plenty of time where teams aren't going to feel any pressure. Really, I mean, if they weren't feeling like the need, if Boston, for example, wasn't feeling the need to add more to whatever their 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 formal, legitimate, whatever word you want to use, offer overture, what have you, was this isn't going to make them think they have to add more either. Um, so we're, we're going to be in a similar spot and the point you just made, I haven't thought about that or asked. That's a really good, that's a really good, uh, point you made about what Brooklyn should, should, or would want to do with Kevin once they come back to training camp. Cause before to me, it wasn't, it wasn't even a question. They were hoping he was going to want to play and going to want to be there. And now that he's, Publicly or not publicly, but I mean, look, Joe Sy took to Twitter to remark about what your colleague's report was. Clearly, there was some credence to that uh, ultimatum that he levied, right? So now that that's out there, I mean, the game has certainly changed. Um, so that's a, that's a really good observation from you about what will, what will Brooklyn even want him to play at that point to risk injury or what have you? Cause I, I have, haven't thought about that. Cause like I just said, that was not something I think I was even on Brooklyn's radar. They were hoping they were basically hoping he would want to play. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been able to dig around on, on my own question. Um, really in the last 24 hours, given everything that's happened, but that it, it was just top of mind for me because again, it's just like, you know, uh, I, I, I had my family had jet season tickets for the past 35 years or thir- for 35 years. We got rid of them a few years ago. And, um, you know, so when, when people complain about season ticket prices, I do kind of see where they're coming from just having been in their shoes. And, um, and, you know, I mean, I would be pissed as a Nets fan if, they uh they raised season ticket prices on me after this past year and the way it went. So um so it's definitely uh it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how they play it because again, I mean, do you do you even play him on some kind of restriction to, to prevent injury, but you can still get people in the door? I, I don't know what the answer I think the, I think the other thing is that kinda I left out the first time with this is just you know, Sean Mark said in his postseason press conference that he uh, that they were trying to get back to their roots that made them attractive in the first place to these stars and that, um, you know, about resetting the culture and all that. And to me, it's just like all that's ensued since is more drama that rivals what the past season was. Do you still want to you're, – you're prepared, it seems like, to go through the season with that. So I guess just what can you – you know, what can be taken at its word given that nothing's really gone the way – you know, you talk about getting the train back on the tracks and it seems like it's been nowhere near the tracks – since those comments. So that's why it, it's going to be interesting come media day. Cause I don't really expect the Nets to do any availability before then. Like what the quote unquote thesis statement is with some of this stuff, given how they keep talking about going back to old ways. And it just seems like it's been a steroid edition of what it's been since. Yeah. And, and those comments have been reiterated behind the scenes. That's been something that I guess we could tally in the column of, of reasons why Kevin Durant requested a trade too. Being that I don't know specifically what he said or how he said it or things that he's proposed, but Sean Marks and the rest of Nets management have made it very clear to people behind the scenes that like they are quote unquote taking back the culture this year. 
and that's been something that's been repeated time and again to me that they want to get back to the holistic team organic thing that they were building back before these guys came into town um and they're, they're trying to kind of pull back the rope from the point that was basically a point of no return when Kyrie Irving said that he and Kevin and Sean and Joe are going to manage the franchise together. Like everything since that moment has been trying to shift things back to more of a hierarchy where, I mean, it's, it's not just a question that's facing the Brooklyn Nets. It's every team in the NBA that's trying to compete because in order to compete, you need all NBA, all-star talent, and the only way to keep those guys on your roster and keep them happy is to work with them in some capacity. But you cannot give them the keys to the franchise in totality and really expect it to be a long-term, sustainable situation. I mean, that's what happened with LeBron in Cleveland. And, I mean, it's clearly it's, it's plagued the Lakers – of late with the Russell Westbrook trade. So um, it's, it's not, this is not a, a, a balancing act that's unique to the Nets whatsoever. No. And if I can just add to that, you know, we've, it, Kevin Durant made a comment about, um, about the, well, we, about choosing between uh, him or the GM and the coach. I mean, if we could just unpack that a little bit, First off, like, look at Steve Nash's coaching staff the first two years. He had he, – they, they stole Royal Ivy from the Knicks in a player development role who is uh, – his son, Kevin is the godfather of his son. You know, Texas Connection. You look He's at one the of staff, Kevin's play, best friends. One of Kevin's best friends. They played together in Oklahoma City. You look at the staff the last year. Mike D'Antoni leaves. Ime Udoka gets head coaching job. Who comes in but David Vanderpool, a fellow native of Prince George's County, Maryland. Overlap with Kevin in Oklahoma City. I forget what David's uh, front office role was before he got on the court coaching. But overlap with him there. You know, Kevin said when I asked him about it with a Team USA availability, he looks at David Vanderpool as a family friend. Uh, Brian Keefe, who I believe was with Kevin from his second year in the league in Oklahoma City. First one there for like a decade and change. He comes in and... Then you throw in, you said, Royale, um, I'm missing one other person. Who am I missing? Um, but there was one other coach with extensive ties to Kevin. And again, we talked about the, the Sean Marks dynamic and the Steve hire. But, you know, outside of Mike D'Antoni and then for this year's staff, Igor Kokoskov and Amari Stoudemire also, I mean, this has been a coaching staff dominated by ties to Kevin Durant more so than Steve Nash. You know, Steve Clifford's one more I'll throw in there in the consultant role. He overlapped with him in L.A., but so, I mean, you know, Steve, you know, Kevin Durant's already had a major influence with the coaching staff. And then, you know, the the, uh, the signings, I mean, you know, Mike James said on a podcast that Kevin played a role in that. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge, the connection with Kevin. And again, I, I don't think LaMarcus was a bad signing per se. But, you know, I think one of the Nets' problems in recent years has been more chasing these guys over the hill than maybe trying to get a guy like Isaiah Hartenstein, who was like that Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie type guy where they, you know, had their career revived and suddenly became a hot commodity to a winning team. So, I mean, we've already kind of seen this in terms of his influence on both fronts with coaching, uh, the coaching and the, the GM side and look at where it's gotten them, you know? So that's why when people talk about the whole, like, you know, oh, they have to take Kevin, he's once generation player. Yeah, but we've seen his influence. If, if they were to hypothetically clean house, which to me would be unprecedented just in sports of an owner taking a player and cleaning house essentially on everybody between roster and ownership. I mean, we've already kind of seen some of where that's gone and it, it hasn't gotten them far. It's gotten them an inch from the conference finals. That's it. So what, when people talk about, you know, taking KD side, I mean, we've seen the results on the court of what the roster looks like with again, cap limitations and everything, but with, who he wants and with the coaching staff. And again, I mean, Brian Keefe interviewed for his head coaching job. Same with David Vanderpool. Those guys have good reputations on their own. But I do think, again, a little what if that you wonder about is what if Steve Nash was able to build a staff comprised of people that he thought he needed around him. And you look at the staff that's coming, your Adam Caporn play development roots coming from Australia and the St. Mary's connection. Um, 
Igor, player development guy, Steve guy. Like, again, it'll be a different team, but I'm curious to see just working-wise if that's better for Steve Nash, given that they're more of his guys than before. Sorry for Anything that. Else? No, you're great, man. Any, anything else we should be talking about here? Anything you want to ask me before we get to calls? Um, It's a good question. I guess what if you – you know, they haven't made many roster moves given all this, but, you know – People have said how they haven't had a good offseason in general. Edmund Sumner, TJ Warren, you know, two X Pacers. I'm trying to think who else they've added. But again, I, to me, it's just this whole offseason has been a holding pattern. And it's tough to really take a lot of hard judgment on any of this until the situation at hand that we've been talking about is resolved. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, honestly, is going to come down to how good Ben Simmons is. Like, that's a pretty clear swing factor of what this roster would be as comprised moving forward. But honestly, I mean, like like I've said, I'm struggling to see, I mean, unless a team, unless a team just says, fuck it. Like we have this chance to go get him. Let's go do it right now. Like I don't see what's going to make Toronto or Boston or Miami or any, I mean, Miami, I'm not even really, thinking about in this conversation because I don't think they have much more like the Celtics and the Raptors both have the depth and an asset pool to actually go up their offer and go and go get him right now if they wanted to um, Miami if they're not putting in BAM which obviously creates a whole nother situation with needing to move Ben Simmons and Miami for every indication I've gotten has no interest in moving BAM a Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, whatever package with two first-round picks just isn't going to isn't going to get it done from Brooklyn side of things. So if you look at Toronto and Boston, and teams will say you know New Orleans could get to the right the front of the line if they wanted to. Like I, I just don't I don't see what's going to push them far. I, I know I could sound like a broken record, but I just I want to be clear in saying that. And but but the chain like. And how how all that's to say how big of a swing factor could Ben Simmons really be when the situation is what it is and like he has I mean Durant opened Pandora's box the toothpaste is out of the tube there's no going back from him calling for those guys' heads so I just don't know what how much we can really like break down this roster and talk about how Ben Simmons could be a swing piece and be you know, the ideal third star next to Kyrie and KD if, like, Kevin wants to get traded. And it seems like the Nets would, at this point, move him the moment their asking price gets met. Like, how can we really operate as if this is going to be a roster that Ben Simmons could be healthy and, and change things with, you know? Yeah, no, I've gotten a lot of questions on Ben the past 24 hours, too, and where he fits into all this. Frankly, I don't really care right now. You know, I, I'm kind of in the mode of I want to see him on the court, see what he looks like, see how he plays before we have any secondary conversations on any of this and and go from there. You know, the, the other thing I'm curious about, and this is for down the road, but just what is Ben Simmons' future with the Nets, too, just given, you know, if they do kind of – have a parting of ways in the net within the next year, both of Kevin and Kyrie, you know, the, the Ben thing that scares me is just with the, um, with the back situation. You know, I was Michael Porter jr's beat writer at Missouri, um, when he had the same operation Ben Simmons just had, and he's had two subsequent back surgeries. I'm not saying it's a one-to-one by any means, but you know, you, it, just in the NBA in general, you look at Danilo Gallinari, Dwight Howard, you, these guys that have had one back surgery have almost always had a second one. So, you know, to me, it's just going to be interesting of what what do the Nets do with Ben if he is healthy, because I think you do worry about building around him long term just because of the questions that could come with his health and how that all plays out. So, yeah, no, I don't think there's I I feel like we're all kind of in a holding pattern right now until really until media day when these guys start saying, you know, are, are speaking to us and kind of saying, you know, is there a game plan or is it just going to be a waiting out? Is there a plan for Kevin to play or not? Does Kevin decide that on his own? Um, you know, I think right now it's just uh, it, after yesterday's news, Kevin drew the line in the sand. Joe kind of showed where he, you know, took his side of it. And, um, and now we kind of have to wait for everything else. 
And to recap before we go to Sam, I do think, though, a trade is is more likely to happen now. I, I To reiterate, like, I would believe, and from my early conversations, the sentiment of that the Nets are just hoping Kevin comes back to camp and changes his mind. I think that's gone. We're going to go to Sam. Sam, how we doing? What up, Sam? Guys, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Um, I had two quick questions for you. One, I'm wondering how at this point, like whether KD is back or not, and as you guys mentioned, it seems like it's more likely that he's not back. I don't really see how Steve Nash can kind of uh, go back to manning the locker room. Like it just seems like when you have a guy who's as respected as KD and calls out the coach – and you also have heard rumblings. I know like the New York Post had something small today about how Kyrie feels similarly. I just don't really know how everyone else in that locker room is supposed to feel when the two of the most respected guys in the locker room and also even in the NBA where you hear how people talk about them, how like Nash is supposed to come back in there, especially when it doesn't seem like the opinion on Nash as a coach throughout the league is that um, – is that strong? And then my second question, which I guess is also opening up another can of worms, and I know I've heard both of you guys speak about this, and I appreciate it, is, you know, it still seems like there isn't really any clarity about what happened that led to this, like, fracturing of a relationship. I know people bring up, like, the Kyrie contract situation and Adam Harrington not getting brought back and whatnot, but it seems like there's something more to that, and I just find it kind of bizarre, and I think all Nets fans, as a diehard myself, like, don't really understand how it's gotten to this point and how it's so, so toxic when it seems like nothing really that terrible has happened to KD and he hasn't been wronged in any real way. But uh, thank you. Alex, I'll defer to you first. Okay. Um, I, I guess to take your second question first, you know, I mean, there has been talk out there. I mean, obviously the, the Kyrie contract situation is where some of this really started to, to begin and as you said, you know, the, the Adam Harrington let go, I think it, I don't know if it's necessarily one entire thing. I, I think that it's been a gradual um, buildup of some of this. You know, other people have put out there about the Warriors winning the title and just how it's gone for, um, gone in Brooklyn so far with Kevin. You know, he, he goes there with Kyrie and, and James. James leaves him at the altar, and then there's this Kyrie situation. So I, I think that there's been a lot of factors I don't necessarily think it's just one thing, but, you know, there's been talk about Kevin losing faith in the organization, the front office based on things. I think some of that's been out of everybody's control, like, you know, them getting, you know, the injuries in the playoffs last year and them coming within an inch of the conference finals um, to, as you said, you know, Adam Harrington not getting retained and um, and the front office not giving him his way anymore. I, I think. I think there's not one thing you can point to, but I think the short thing is just that, like, these guys have gotten their way ever since they came to town, and now they stopped getting their way, and they don't like it. You know, I, I think that that's the, the easy way to sum it up um, without really pointing to one thing that, that tipped the iceberg over. I mean, Jake, would you roughly agree with that? I, like I said earlier, the, the general idea of taking back the culture and diminishing their power has been the, kind of the overall theme of the offseason while still wanting to uphold a roster that kind of could compete alongside those guys. And that I could, I could see why superstars who had had that much control would, would make, would, would feel like that was a bit of a slap in the face, right? Like, oh, you want to win with us, but you want to sit us down and, and chop us off at our knees. Like, that that makes sense from from their perspective why they wouldn't appreciate where things are headed. Um, I don't know. I just I would agree though that it does from a Nets fan perspective it does seem kind of ridiculous. And I would agree that look there are a lot of people in the NBA from people on the coaching side to the agent side team executives who aren't exactly uh, enamored by how Kevin Durant has, has, has managed his offseason, has gone about his business for someone who um, hasn't exactly mirrored Golden State's success in Brooklyn, right? And that's not, that's not me saying that, I want to be clear, but I've heard a lot more pessimistic takes about Kevin Durant from NBA people than I ever had before June 2022. Yeah, 
I, yeah, piggybacking off of Jake that it's not been one event, but more of a theme. And then just with the Nash in the locker room thing, I don't really think that that this necessarily hurts him with the rest of the team. Because, I mean, first off, all these guys are in the public eye, criticized, have to kind of get off the mat or get back up on the, off the mat from being knocked down in some way or another. And, you know, again, a lot of the players on the roster have seen way more than Jake and I have seen or been able to report throughout all this, right? You know, these guys aren't stupid. They, um, they've kind of seen this from a different perspective. So I think that they're able to kind of sift through a lot of this better than, than most because they, they have a, a much up-close version of events than anybody else. So I don't necessarily think, like, you know, does the guy like Kessler Edwards, who shares an agent with Steve Nash and an alma mater with his wife, and had his three-point shot fixed thanks to Kyle Korver and some stuff for you know, player development stuff from Steve Nash. Does he lose his voice uh, to Kessler because – this is just an example, by the way. Just, no. Yeah, just because, um, just because Kevin, who's a very good player, did something like this. I, I don't really think it works that way. I think a lot of these guys have their own individual opinions on, on this stuff. And, you know, that an- another player, no matter how great they be, kind of calling for the job doesn't um doesn't really change their outlook on some of this now someone like cam thomas maybe (laughs) i'm rolling my eyes right now exactly sam anything else Uh, i couldn't hear him uh okay we're going to kyle kyle what's going on man jake how you doing what's up Can can you hear me yeah we got you so I got breaking news. Okay. Ben's uh, mother's brother's sister's cousin said that he's going to demand a trade and sit out the whole next season. <laughs> he, he he's going to warm the bench. Ben Simmons. That was a that was a joke, brother. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Tough 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 crowd here. <laughs> it's a tough crowd in Brooklyn, man. They're. Uh... <laughs> No, not exactly, no. not exactly simpatico right now. Well, you know, to me, I've been watching basketball since I was probably five years old, and this is just a comic show to me because these guys make more money than than I'm ever going to see in my lifetime, and they have the right to demand a trade with four years left on his contract. It's like people want to come and watch entertainment and see these guys hoop. And we watched Ben Simmons do it for a whole year in Philadelphia. Now we don't know what KD is going to do. And it's, it's like we just want to watch these guys play basketball. It's like they're just chasing rings. And we got to sit here and watch and see what happens. You know, it's like I, I just to me it's ridiculous. It's like I don't know. But I want to see some changes in the NBA. And I want to see the NBA – do something about this uh, from happening in the future. Uh, And what I mean by that is you can demand a trade, but you can't have four years left on your contract. You get one or two. Well, if I could just, um, before Jake speaks, if I could just say, again, another thing to me that is not really on the radar right now, but will be pretty soon is just how, this offseason, the events that have come from it factor into the next round of CBA negotiations. You know, people have I was talked just about. Say that. Go ahead. It's, it, the floor is all yours. No, I mean, you brought it up. Go for it. No, just, you know, people have already talked even before Saturday's news about, like, you know, Ben Simmons signed a max extension and then didn't play a whole year. And, you know, this idea of, you know, there's been talk about obviously shrinking the season to get more guys on the court. And, you know, Richard Jefferson had that big thing on ESPN saying how just because this generation can't handle that doesn't mean they should cater to them. I I think it's going to be very interesting, you know, covering a team every day. I don't really deal with a ton of the um, that kind of stuff. But I think given this team and how it's kind of centered around some of that, I I think it'll probably be a bigger conversation um, this year. but. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, Kyle, and I think that I think that how complaints like that get factored into where the league goes from here, given the, the labor negotiations coming up, is going to be very interesting. Because I, I think you've heard some people say that some of this behavior has kind of made it easier for the owners to get their way this next time around. 
again, I'm not sourced up and down the union and all like that. Maybe Jake has a thought on that as to where how this is going to go. But it's a new union director with Michelle Roberts retiring and new president with C.J. McCollum. And, and there's been a lot more of the And, you know, factoring the James Harden, two trades and all this attrition among players. I, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see where this goes, given how how this year has played out. Yeah. And I look, to be fair, I haven't. Uh, I, this hasn't come up in any of my conversations of late. But it, this conversation was first brought up back in the fall when around it was media day when honestly think back to media day 2021 player vaccination status was the number one talking point of media day every player was getting asked where they vaccinated or not and players reasoning for why they weren't getting it and all that coupled with ben simmons pulling what he was pulling there was a lot of talk even then about well there's got to be some type of clapback or amendment to the order of of proceedings here to kind of punish players or make it difficult for them to not play or or make it difficult for them when they request a trade or when they're not playing games. So again, I haven't heard anything about it of late, but it's been a talking point for over a year. So when Kevin Durant does it to this degree on this much of a stage, um, to where it's you know the only news cycle out there, I would have to imagine. Yes, it would only get those coals would only get restoked moving forward here as we get closer to December. I only have one small addition, but there's been no update on it for months. But obviously, Ben Simmons, Simmons and the union have been going back and forth with the Sixers about this very thing with the salary grievance, given that they've cut pay from him and he wants the money back. And I think. That ruling, assuming it comes before the CBA negotiations, is also going to be an interesting thing in terms of how this is all being viewed beforehand. Very much so. All right, Matt, we got time for maybe one more. We'll try to get to Zach. Matt, what's going on? Hey, what's good, fellas? Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, so uh, kind of a rambling question here. Uh, I guess it's a two-parter. One is I want to know, and full disclosure, I am a Nets fan. I am exhausted. I really want this all to... I don't want this all to end stupidly. I don't want to just say make a deal for the sake of making a deal. But I understand the impulse only because I'm at the end of it's been a long summer. Uh, what I want to know is if this information about Sean Marks and Steve Nash being KD's main issue, if this had been made known public a month ago, do you think a trade would have been done at this point or do you think it only weakens the net stance and causes them to be more entrenched where they are and the second part i want to ask here is uh uh, the suns and the suns fandom twitter whatever you want to call it still think seem to think that they're at the front of the line although i can't seem to find anything reputable that says you know that mikhail bridges trade package is going to be what gets the job done have you heard anything about them other than, you know, the Aiton deal has taken them, has taken Aiton out of contention for, until January or whenever that date is, uh, six months after the, after the signing? So what I'll say is I don't think, like we said, I don't think anything is going to change until someone meets the net asking price. I, I think that's been the case all summer, and it will still be the case. So if this happened a month ago, I think we probably would have been in the same boat because I don't think teams are going to be more emboldened to offer richer packages now that, in theory, Sean Marks would have been considered to have been on the hot hot seat a month ago. In terms of Phoenix, I don't, from everything we've talked about, from everything I've heard, I don't think any package that doesn't send DeAndre into a third team to get back, or maybe it's even bigger, it's a four-team situation, and there are other pieces coming back to – satisfy Brooklyn's wishes. I don't think the Suns have a legitimate offer that can get Brooklyn's attention until January 15th. No, Alex? Yeah, I don't have much much to add here other than that. The other thing that's come out lately, obviously, I think Ian Bagley had this, our buddy, you know, and I I heard the same thing, just that the Nets have, one of the things that's made this go so slow is that you know, there hasn't really been interest in other teams being a third or fourth trade partner to kind of make this work. 
And to me, that's the only path to get him to Phoenix is there being like three or four teams all chipping in a few assets and a bunch of guys going a bunch of different places for that to really happen. But that, again, there's been no, there's been no interest on that front. And, and obviously that's been part of the holdup for a deal. So I don't, unless something changes on that front with multiple teams, I don't see him going to Phoenix. And, uh, and if this came out a month earlier, I don't, I think it would, we'd just be in a slower news cycle right now. Um, like we're supposed to be, um, than than a deal per se getting done. Like the Nets the Nets are gonna take this as long as they want, as Jake said, to get what they want out of this. And uh and if they would have gotten it within the month after this news would have first broke if it happened in July, who knows? We're only in day one of uh of the post Psy uh K D <laughs> meeting. So well uh we, we need more time to really gauge that. But no, I don't unless unless they got the risk, I don't think so. No. Zach, last question. Can you hear me? Yep. All right, great. Thank on? you. Thank Huge you guys dogs. for hosting this stuff. Thank you, thank you. His name is Bronte after LeBron. Huge Heat fan here. I've heard our franchise when Kevin Durant first wanted to get traded, it was Miami or Phoenix. And then now Sham's saying it's between Boston, Miami, Phoenix, uh, my, and Toronto. How much of a hurdle does Miami have if we're unwilling to trade Bam and Jimmy? And what type of deal do you think gets Durant in a Heat uniform? Thanks. Alex? I mean, kind of similar to my last point. Like, I don't think a straight-up deal is going to work. Um, I think they would need a third or fourth team to, to really make that work. And, again, I just my question is with the Nets, like, they don't need Duncan Robinson. They have three good shooters on the roster with Curry, Harris, and Patty Mills. Uh, Bam out of bio they can't trade for because of the Ben Simmons rule. Tyler Hero is not worth Kevin Durant's healthy leg to me in a deal like this of this this these stakes. So I, unless there's another team out there that's willing to offload some stuff, and as you said, unless it's it throws in Jimmy Butler and and Kyle Lowry, I don't or, or someone else, I don't really see anything happening. So I, I think the I think the real players, quote unquote, right now, even though there aren't really any, because again, as we've reiterated, this this could go a while. I think it's Boston, Toronto, or a situation that hasn't presented itself yet as we speak right now, because just Phoenix and Miami seems so unrealistic to me. I would agree. I I don't see the Heat as a legitimate player if they're not putting Bam out of bio on the table, and. Toronto and Boston clearly have the depth and the pick packages to get it done if they wanted to. Outside of those two teams, you know, will New Orleans actually go and push for it? You know, that doesn't seem to be like it's happened yet. Um, you know, New York clearly has got the capital, but they, they don't want to even score it for Donovan. And I don't think the Nets would want to give him up – uh, cross town and with all that, you know, history there. So for now, the market does seem kind of handicapped to Toronto or Boston or which team is going to come out of the woodwork and, and really put together their best package. I'm not reporting this, but, you know, like if Denver all of a sudden said, screw it, here's Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and all these picks, like Brooklyn would have to consider that, right? And that would probably draw up. Toronto's best offer and Boston's best offer, what have you? That's the type of wrinkle that we really need to move to move this whole situation further. But um, I certainly have not heard of anything like that. And the only team that I've even been told or even heard discussed as like a remote potential threat has been the Pelicans. But like I said, I have not heard they've actually done so. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. I would be wary of Michael Porter Jr. just because of, again, back problems have been another theme of this chat. They'd be like the Brooklyn chiropractors yes. between him and Ben. Um, <laughs> I, uh, well, again, that, that, that was just a hypothetical I was throwing out. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. That My joke wasn't that great, but it was better than the uh, than the guy that made the Ben Stevens joke, <laughs> in my opinion. But, um, um, but no, I would, like, that's the thing, though. I wouldn't. I would want somebody else on Denver um, than MPJ just because 
and and Jamal Murray's coming off an ACL too and hasn't played yet. You know, I'd be wary of doing that without seeing them on the court this year and being able to get your own doctors in there just because um, I'd be I'd be worried about MPJ's back for sure. Jamal Murray less so just because there's a relationship there with Steve Nash, given he was a Canadian national team GM and uh, and all that. But yeah, that that the health component of that is why hypothetically if Denver entered the race, I'd be wary if I were the Nets of doing that. And I might ask for more picks anyway just because of that. Alex, we don't we don't expand on ideas that we don't think are real and then people write that we talked about it. Come on, man, what are you doing? True, that's true. We just I just went against the name of the show. I'm sorry. I'd like to repent for my sins. It's all good, man. I really appreciate you coming on here. It was good fun catching up. Uh hope you can get some time to yourself and not poking and prying about the situation. Um, but the next time that we, uh, that we, that we need to send out the Schiffer signal, uh, I'll give you a shout, man. Thanks as always. I really appreciate it. For sure. Thanks for having me, man. I'll see you at media day or something else that requires your attention this season. Sadly, <laughs> catastrophic. What, uh, anything you want to plug before you go? I mean, yeah, I, I just wrote about on the athletic yesterday, how, um, essentially this raises more questions than answers given all the stuff we all the questions we've asked about how this gets settled and how this gets um resolved this coming season. So if you want to relive the chat, go on the athletic and see my story. <laughs> there you go. All right guys, we'll be back sometime later this week. Not sure who the guests will be, but appreciate you tuning in and we'll appreciate you tuning in next time. For now, take care. See you guys. Have a good one.